Why don't we go ahead and find our seats, wrap up our conversations. These stimulating, concert-going conversations. It is a great question. Yeah. Um, so I'm Zach. Thanks, bud. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here at The Vine. It's been um, great to be um, off preaching for a few weeks around the holidays, and now we're kind of getting back in the regular rhythm of things. So I missed being up here with you guys, but um, look forward to um, the, the weeks ahead. So the last three weeks, we um, spent three weeks just kind of spending, James and Scott did such a great job spending time helping us think through what does it mean to grow as a Christian? What does it mean to be healthy? How do we abide in Christ? And the fancy theological word is be sanctified, sanctification. And how does that work? And then um, next week, we'll get back into our series in, in the book of Genesis. And we'll be done with Genesis, God willing, at the end of April. And not totally sure what we're going on to then. But today... Um, we are going to spend uh, just one Sunday thinking about issues of unity and diversity and equality because tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And before I launch into that, I just wanted to say something quick about our vision as a church. And it actually really connects well with what we're talking about today. Um, But we want to be the kind of church where no one is left standing alone. And I mean that not figuratively, I mean that literally. Like on a Sunday morning, um, if you see somebody off by themselves, maybe you should go up and just say hi. And pursuing love, pursuing hospitality, pursuing um, outward focused, we want to be a warm and inviting church. And so many of you do the phenomenal job at this. And we want to just say, hey, let's keep doing it together. Um, like he, here's what I, I'm convinced of. For our church, if we're a church where when we individually walk in these doors on a Sunday morning with the, 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 the starting point question is not, man, who here is going to love me? But rather the opposite. The question becomes, man, who here can I love? The, the question is not, man, I walk in those doors and I'm just immediately thinking, man, who here is going to meet my needs? Who here is going to meet my needs? But rather... We walk in the door and we go, man, whose needs can I meet? And we do that reciprocally as a body, especially as as covenant members of the vine. Man, the church gets beautiful when that's our starting point. Community gets beautiful. And and it's it's an outward versus an inward focus. It's very, very simple, but it's hard to pull off. And we just want to call us as a church to continue to head in that direction. Because the the key is this. Our identity, if if you're a Christian this morning... We don't assume that everyone in here is a Christian this morning. If you're not, we're glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. But if you are a Christian this morning, your identity is this. You are the child of the Father. And what is the Father? Who is the Father? The Father is one who pursues, who has an outward focus, who's not consumed with himself, but he's focused on others, right? And so that's our identity. That's our identity, an outward-looking God. Now, listen, we're not asking you to be BFFs with everybody, okay? That's not realistic. We're asking you a little, something a little deeper, in fact. We're asking you to be family, 
to be like family. Now, you're not BFFs with everybody in your family, extended family, cousins, and all that. Of course not. But you love them. You love them. And you're hospitable to them. And so we're just simply calling us to, to treat one another like family this morning. Treat each other like family or the family you want to have. And that's what's going to make our community beautiful. And that really connects to what we're going to be talking about today. Because Martin Luther King Jr., he had a vision that everyone treated like one equally with unity amidst diversity, like family. Like all of our families are diverse, are they not? On one, one degree or another. How are we going to be unified? How are we going to view each other as equal? How are we going to ultimately, how are we going to love each other? And the vision that he had, I would say, is a profoundly Christian vision. There's a profound theological underpinning, undergirding to themes of equality and dignity and unity amidst diversity that, that, that runs way deeper and, and, and showed up way before 1950. That's not to diminish what happened with Martin Luther King Jr. in 1950. But the Christian worldview has a profound word to say about those issues. And he was just highlighting them. So I think to, to lay the foundation for these themes of unity and amidst diversity and equality, we have to have a profound understanding of the image of God. What is the image of God? What is the Christian doctrine of the image of God? Now, almost exactly a year ago, we started our Genesis series. In Genesis, we start in chapter 1. And so we were talking about God's creation and how he created us in his image. And the illustration that we used was Michael Jordan a lot. We used this illustration. James and I both used it when we were preaching this sermon, those sermons a year ago. And outside of the United Center where the Chicago Bulls play, there's a statue of Michael Jordan. It's the, the classic, like, he's stretched out, you know, rarefied air, about to throw down the massive dunk. And, and there's this massive statue out front. Now, what's the purpose of that statue? Is the purpose of that statue so that people can walk by and like bow down and worship like we're not worthy? No, it's not, right? That would be silly, wouldn't it? The purpose of the statue of Michael Jordan is to help all those Bulls fans deepen their enjoyment of Michael Jordan by remembering and recalling in their minds the glory of Michael Jordan. So what was the glory of Michael Jordan? Six championship rings. All those scoring championships, all of those dunks that just made you, like, can this guy really fly, you know? Like, the rarefied air, the game-winning shots, the, the complete overhaul of Nike, and Nike has, like, been launched into the next universe because of Michael Jordan, and, and it's got to be the shoes, and Mars Blackman, anybody with me? Right? Anybody remember? Come on. Yeah, that's right. All the points, all the wins, all the great teams, all the great trash talk. That's the glory of Michael Jordan, right? Now remember, think back to the statue, the image. The image is there to help you recall the greatness of the reality of who Michael Jordan was. Let me say that again. The image is there to recall, to help you recall the greatness of the reality of who Michael Jordan was was. Now, when God says 
in Genesis 1, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 27, that we are made in God's image, it works the exact same way. It works the exact same way. Turn if you, if you have a Bible, it'll be on the screen if you don't. Genesis 1, 27. First page for most of you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Hear the repetition there? The repetition is purposeful. It's for the sake of emphasis. It's like the, the, re, the author is saying to the first audience and to us, check it out, check it out. This is important. I'm repeating it because it's important. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God's the creator. We see that repeated three times in one verse, and we're created in his image, and our gender is key in that. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So take, take this image and make more image bearers. I want, we should have more and more image bearers. Multiply this image bearing of God and fill the earth. So spread out. Take this image to, to the ends of the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So as image bearers, you're not going to devalue other creation, but it's clear that you're the pinnacle of creation because you're going to have dominion. Dominion doesn't mean dominance. It just means you're the pinnacle. You're the, you're the top of the creation because you bear my image. So what can we draw from this? Our presence, human beings, in the world is not so that we can bow down and worship each other or worship ourselves. Our presence in this world is this, to display for all creation, for one another as we look at each other, as we interact with one another. We're called to help others see us as human beings made in the image of God and recall in our collective minds what? As we look at each other. The reality. The image draws attention to the reality. And what's the reality? God and his glory. See, when, you, when we see one another, as we bear the image of God who is so glorious, it shouldn't just be like, oh, there's a cool dude. There's some person. Okay, whatever. We shouldn't be thinking like just on, like on an earthly level. We want to think on a God level. So when I see that person, I go, man, think of the, the majesty of a God who could create this human body that scientists have been studying for centuries and have not yet plumbed the depths of and will continue to study the, the, the majesty and the mystery of the human body for centuries beyond us, for as long as we're here. And, and as you see someone, you think, man, that reminds me that our God is powerful and he's so powerful he could create this universe and, and our God is so glorious because he's so loving and he listens to us and hears us and he, and he came to save us and he's got a plan for us to give us true and lasting joy. And, and, and we, we, we look at someone and go, man, that reminds me of the glory of this God who actually he became one of us to save us, to seek and to save the lost. See, this is the glory of God, all of those, all of those statements. This is who God is and what he's done. And so here's the point. Us walking around on this planet, it's not just random, purposeless. At its base level, it's all about shining a light on the glory of God. That's what the image 
in you is intended to do. That's why God told them, spread out. Fill the earth and subdue it. Spread my glory to the farthest reaches of creation. So that everyone can know and recall and be reminded about the greatness of our God. Just like that statue in the front of the United Center recalls the glory of Michael Jordan. Functions the same way. So this is why you were created. This is your purpose at base level. Is it more? Yeah, but it's not less. Irrespective of color, shape, size, rich, poor, education, old, young, whatever, this is your purpose if you're a human being. It said like this, not to, you weren't created to be a glory hog. You were created to be a glory reflector. You were created to be a glory carrier. This is what it means to be created in God's image. We have the very stamp of God on us to show and remind others of how great God is. Now, that's the foundation. That's the foundation of the image of God. That's the theological foundation for what it means to be created in the image of God. And that truth that stems from Genesis 1, 27 and 28, that biblical truth that we stand on, thus has some implications. For how we live, right? Let me start with an illustration. There's a movie um, coming out. I think it's out right now, or maybe it's coming out in a few days, um, called 13 Hours. Anybody seen the preview for that? You all, like, live under a rock? Don't watch TV? No one's seen the preview? Seriously? Only, like, three of you? All y'all just watch Netflix and Hulu, right? No, no commercials? All right. Well, it's the story of, um, I'll just read the quote. Uh, this is the story of, six, of, of the six members of the Annex security team defending the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya from an attack by Islamic militants. So it's a movie that's out right now. You guys have heard the story. It was all over the media. A book was written about it. And tragically, in this attack on the U.S. embassy in Benghazi, um, the U.S. ambassador to the, um, sorry, the, the U.S. ambassador to Libya, Christopher Stevens, was murdered. And the movie and the book tell the story of what happened and all of led up to it. Now let me ask you this. All of the political implications and all the media firestorm, let's put that aside for a second. That was there. We're not talking about that. Let me ask you this though. Why was there so much attention on this story? Not politically and media, but why, just at base level, without all the hype, why was that a big deal that the ambassador of the United States was killed? Because Americans get killed all the time, right? And people get killed overseas all the time. What's the big deal with this story? Well, I think part of the reason is because it was an ambassador of the United States. And killing a U.S. ambassador is a big deal. This wasn't just any old murder. Well, why is that? Because of who the ambassador represents. Because of who the ambassador represents. See, the main job of an ambassador is, a U.S. ambassador is to what? Represent the United States, right? His, his, very, his or her very presence 
reminds and reflects all that see him in this case. USA, 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 right? It's, it's, it's like he's wearing a big sign that says, when you see me as ambassador, think US of A, red, white, and blue. Think 50 states. And so when you kill the ambassador, the representative ambassador, it's like you're killing that which he represents as well. You with me? See, when you disrespect the representative ambassador, it's like you're disrespecting that which he represents as well. It's a massive affront to the United States, right? That's why we took it so seriously. That's why you would take any killing of an ambassador seriously. That's why you would take the, the, the assassination of a president so seriously because of what it represents. This is our country, right? And this illustration gives us a window into what I want us to consider today. See, the, the Christian worldview says that all human beings have intrinsic value. Why? Why should all Christians be treated with equality and value and respect and dignity? All of these values that Martin Luther King trumpeted. Why? Well, let's think about this negatively first. The challenge of a worldview with no God, what that means is that we're just a cosmic accident. And at the end of the day, why should humans have more value than, say, snails or dogs or plants? I mean, if we're just some cosmic random accident that's truly that emerged with no purpose, it, there was no purpose inherent in our somehow arriving on this planet through whatever force of whatever. It just so happened, time, space, chance, conditions were perfect, and out came some thing, and that evolved into this thing, and that this thing, and this thing, and this thing, and then here we are. There was no intention in it. It just happened. You with me? If it's all just one big cosmic accident, then who cares if certain people are devalued and certain people aren't? Like, I mean, honestly, this is how nature works. If we're just natural, meaning there's no God, it's all just natural, well, how does the world work? The strong prey on the weak. That's just how the world works. Why shouldn't it be that way with us? Like, the lion eats the gazelle. That's the way nature works, and no one gets upset about it. The strong prey on the weak. What's, what's the big deal? See, if there's no God and humans truly have no purpose and didn't come from anything that gives us purpose, other than you're just going to live, you happen to be here, you're going to live, you're going to die, and then nothing. If that's truly what our lives are about, where could value, like true, enduring, lasting value even come from? Like a purposeless universe can't give ultimate meaning and value to human beings. We can try real hard. You just, when you get down to the base level, if you really start thinking about it, it's all just preferences. Like, you prefer to kill people. You don't. At the end of the day, like, how do we tell the difference? Right? If there's no God. If there's no ultimate arbiter that says, no, that's objectively wrong, and this isn't. 
See, ultimate value is hard to come by if God's out of the equation. I know I'm, I'm going a little phil- philosophical here, but hang with me. Ultimate value is really hard to come by if God's out of the equation. But thankfully, God's not out of the equation. The Christian worldview says that we should value all human beings. Why? See, see a, a universe without God, you can't really find it. The Christian worldview says that we value all human beings. Why? Because God is there and he speaks and we value all human beings because God said so. Because God said so. What did he say? He said, they're created in my image. He said, they're my ambassador representatives of me. So, we don't just represent the U.S., though we do as citizens in some sense, but even more profound, we represent God. Every human being, in some sense, stamped with his image, is an ambassador representative of God. So in the same way that killing a U.S. ambassador is an affront and a massive confrontation to our nation, devaluing, disrespecting, and failing to honor a representative ambassador of God himself how much worse is that? How much worse is that? You with me? You feel that? So we don't devalue that which exists to spread the glory of God. We don't trample on those that carry in their very being the supreme value of God. We don't diminish or disregard the beauty and dignity of those who by their very presence display the glory of God, whether they're aware of it or not. And Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you are aware of it or should be. So Christians should be the first ones in line to uphold this vision of equality and unity amidst diversity and defend the values of all human beings. Defend the value of all human beings. So today, as we remember Martin Luther King Jr. Day and tomorrow, it's it's so great to review and remind why, what's the foundation of true value and worth? And we can't devalue one another based on external differences. God's word comes in confrontation with that and says, that's not how this thing's going to work for your blessing. I've had the opportunity in the last five years to travel internationally. And up until that point, I'd never done, I'd never been out of the 48 states ever. And um, I've gotten to travel actually quite a bit internationally lately. And... One of the things I've learned is that racism is not just an American issue. It's a worldwide issue. It's not just a black-white issue like we might think of. It's a human heart issue. See, there's a racist impulse that lurks in all of us. I mean, it's... Is black and white for sure, but I'm telling you, it's worldwide. It's worldwide human nature. Certain types of people hate other types of people simply because they're different. But let me correct myself. It's not just that they're different. I think that's too simplistic. It's that those differences represent something. It represents fear. See, so much of the worldwide racist heart can be boiled down to fear. It's also fear-based. It's not all 
The totality is not all fear, but I'm, I'm going to say it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it. One, one people group sees another people group as different, and those differences represent some type of threat. And thus the fear arises, like those people are going to take our, our jobs. Those people are going to take our power. Those people are going to disrespect us. Those people are moving into our neighborhood. Right? See here how that's, all of that's fear-based? Like, you're going to take something that I, that, that, that's mine and I can't give it up. Or whatever. It might be fear of oppression. Those people are going to oppress me. See, I think the, the subtle racist impulse that lurks in all of our hearts, if we're really honest... Is it not fear-based? I mean, just ask yourself. All of us in this room, probably for the most part, no one would dare be overtly racist. That's maybe a generation or two past. Now, of course, that happens in our world today. But as I look around this room, and I think about our culture in Madison especially, like overt racism doesn't happen that much in terms of how you talk, at least the people I know in this room. But what about the more subtle forms? There's the thoughts that we have. Just, just be real honest with yourself. Is there not some fear-based racism in our hearts? It's a challenging question, I, I know. Here, here's, here's the issue. Let me ask you this. What worldview do you think has the best and biggest chance to cut the heart out of worldwide racist impulses that are predominantly fear-based? What worldview can, can go after that and obliterate it, or at least has a chance to? I would venture to say that it's a vision of the God of the Bible whose most frequent command to his people is what? Fear not. His most frequent command is fear not. And in addition, shouldn't our fear of the Lord be more profound than our fear of those who are different from us. You with me? See, when you fear the Lord, ref, uh, revere him, honor him, respect him, listen to him, when you fear the Lord, you value what he values and you love what he loves and you take delight in what he takes delight in. And so when you're considering a person in front of you that might be different from you, my baseline starting point can't be my fear or my assumptions or my baggage. What, what should it be? It should be the fear of the Lord. It should be the fear of the Lord should inform that person in front of me and how I consider them. So if I revere and fear and, and respect the Lord, I'm going to listen to what the Lord says as a primary identifier of that person and not what my baggage and my sinful impulses and my subtle racist heart thinks. I'm going to be so much more consumed with what the Lord says because I fear the Lord most above all else. I revere and respect and fear the Lord above all else. So let's review then. What does the Lord say, since I'm fearing him and I'm listening to him, what's the Lord say about that person standing in front of me that's different from me? About this human being? That's what we've already said. This is an image bearer first. This is a carrier of God's glory. He or she in front of me here 
is a, a, an ambassador representative of God himself. Not the God of our imagination, not the God of some wishful thinking, but the real God who is there. The God of the Bible made flesh in space, time, and history in Jesus. We bear the image of this God. This person in front of me is an ambassador representative of this God, a carrier of this God's glory. So the fear of the Lord and what he says about us can dispel the fear of others that feeds the racist heart. Can I drop some stereotypes on you real quick? I know these are stereotypes, okay? But I want to just bring this at home a little bit, okay? And, and it's important that we, we, we try to visualize this and make this even more practical. So what I'm saying is what if our default setting when maybe an older white working class man sees a younger Latino working on the construction site, what if his default setting was not, and that guy's probably a fence jumper. That guy's, man, all those people are taking our jobs. But rather, my starting point is not that. My starting point is God-informed, God's word-informed. And what does that say? It says, this young man bears the image of God. And I can't assume anything about that person other than the data that I have right there that God has told me. Clearly, this person is an image bearer. And that's enough to give respect and honor and dignity. And incidentally, if that's our starting point, isn't it maybe possible we could have a conversation about immigration and at least have it be civil if we view one another as image bearers? Okay. What if, what if our default setting when a young black man sees an older white man isn't, man, I bet that guy, I bet he's as privileged as it gets. Probably born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he probably thinks he's better than me and he's, he's racist for sure. But rather, that old dude, he's an image bearer of God. And, and, and the, young, the young black guy can't assume anything other than that. That's all the information he has. And so it's enough to give respect and honor and value. What if, what if the default setting for when a white woman alone on the elevator sees the young black man get in there with her, what if her first impulse, impulse is not to think, clutch my purse? I got, I got friends that have told me that story. But now this young man bears the image of God. I can't assume anything about him or her other than that. And that's enough. That image bearing is enough to give dignity and honor and respect and value. Not fear. Fear is not our starting point. First line, the first thing, respect, honor, and value because this is an image bearer. Now notice, this is not wishy-washy political correctness that will change at, on a whim as the cultural, political winds shift. That's not what this is. This is objective truth from God himself. You need to respect and honor that person simply because they're an image bearer. All human beings. And and absolutely, there's more reasons than that, but nevertheless. 
And I, yes, I know this, this issue in our culture and every culture is infinitely complex. I'm, I'm very aware of that. And we're going to navigate these waters in my own family because we're diverse in my family, okay? I know it's complex. But maybe we could all agree, at least for today, that the image of God, this theological foundation that Christians uniquely bear, maybe, just maybe, could empower us to just be a great starting point to work from, right? To be a great starting point to work from that could lay a phenomenal groundwork for unity and diversity, equality. See, what worldview can accomplish those things truly? And not just devolve into power struggles. I think it's the Christian worldview. And yes and amen, Christians have not lived out these truths as we should for 2,000 years. Yes and amen. It's horrible what's happened. And lots of people that bear the name of Jesus have not lived in light of these truths. That doesn't mean that the truth isn't the truth. It just means we got to start believing it deeper and start repenting quicker when we fail. And then rejoice in a God who can save anyone when we come in repentance and faith. And God can change the racist heart this morning through his mercy. I want to say a couple more things and then we'll be done. I think it's really important as well to extrapolate out from this discussion of the image of God and how that connects to unity in our culture today. It has other implications that we're not going to go into, but I just want to mention. Like if human beings have profound value and worth because we are ambassador representatives of God himself as we bear his very image, then what that means is we can't snuff out life. Even if it's small and voiceless and powerless and in a location that's very inconvenient for some. Like we can't take the life of the unborn. And hear me, Christians, our theology says that we love all women. There, there is no Christian war on women. We love all women, especially those who need help. Adult women who might be pregnant and scared and don't know where to turn. But in addition to them, we want to care for the tiniest of women. The female gender and the male gender that resides in the womb that bear the image of God. So we can't use... We can't snuff out that which God says bears his image. We can't participate in it. We can't celebrate it. And we should seek to abolish it. We also can't use um, other ambassador representatives of God as objects for sexual consumption. See, see what pornography does in our culture it reduces human beings that are, that, are, that are stamped with the glory of God himself just in their 
existence. It takes human beings and reduces them to pieces of meat to be consumed. And may it never be. Humans are not created to be used. Humans are created to be valued and cherished and respected and protected. So you can see how a strong doctrine of the image of God that comes from God's word has tons of cultural implications. So I just, I just call us to press into it deeper, to think clearer about it. It's, it's, it's innumerable, all the implications. Let me leave you with this. It would be easy here today for us to leave with a heart of failure, with a heart of condemnation. Like who, who among us here hasn't failed in, in some area here? Maybe I've said, I've said it or maybe you're thinking of something else. A racist heart, an abortive heart, a selfish consuming heart. Maybe it's some other way. Let me leave you with this reminder. Two thousand years ago, God's people, His chosen elect people, the Jewish nation at that time, were His chosen elect people, and they predominantly had a very racist heart. Long story, we're not going to tell the details, but there was this people group that they lived near that were called Samaritans, and Jewish people, God's chosen elect people, hated Samaritans with a deep hatred. Just because they were Samaritans. Now, what do you think God did about that? He didn't come with a stick to beat him up. He came with his mercy. He came with himself into that culture that was profoundly divided, this human value-destroying culture, and he entered it to save it, right? He didn't write off his people in judgment. He said, I'm coming to you. I come to seek and to save those who are lost. Anybody who's willing to repent of this sin of racism and any other, come to the living water and drink. It's free. Come and drink and be satisfied and know you can have forgiveness for the sin of racism and any other. You can come and treasure me and trust me above all else. Not these idols that you erect that make you feel safe. This idol of community, of everyone that looks just like you, and I'm never going to branch out of here, and all these other people are so scary. That's, un, that's idolatry. Come to Jesus. He hangs out with lots of different types of people. Just go read the Gospels. He hangs out with Samaritans. Scandalous in his day and age. But he doesn't write off his people either. He comes to them. He comes to all of them. And so if he can come to them in the midst of their racism 2,000 years ago, don't you think he can come to you too? If he could change hearts 2,000 years ago that were profoundly racist, don't you think he could change your heart? If he could change hearts that radically devalued the image of God in another image bearer, don't you think... He could change your heart too as we devalue one another, even in our nicey, nicey, Christianized, culturally safe ways. Maybe it's even in your own head. See, I don't want anyone here to leave with a heavy heart of condemnation 
And this isn't to diminish the seriousness of sin, but we can't stop there. We have to run together. That's what community is all about. We link arms and go to the cross and the empty tomb together and know that you don't have to be defined by your sin issues. You don't have to be defined by how you've maybe assaulted God's image bearers. You don't have to be defined by a guilty conscience. You don't have to be def- you, you can be defined as a child of God who knows mercy at its deepest levels. That's what will define you. And if that's your definition, I'm a child of God who's been shown so much mercy, even, even, even mercy to a racist heart, and that'll change your life. That'll change your life and compel you to see God's word as something to cherish and God's image bearers as worthy of the utmost value as well. Let's pray. Father, may it be so that these truths sink deep into our hearts. Lord, we, we want to ask your forgiveness for ways that we have failed And we want to rejoice now that you have covered our failures by becoming sin for us, by taking our place and bearing the wrath that we deserve on yourself so that we can go free and you can uphold your justice and we can live as children of you who know profound mercy. And may that true mercy change our hearts, soften us, awaken us, and give us hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen.